Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of October 30th, 2020. Happy Halloween to anybody that's going to be celebrating that. Uh, Keeping it short and sweet this week, so let's just talk about the episodes and get to the summaries. On Monday, we have episode 148. It's A-OK to solve for today. ANZ Plus's early data mesh success, an interview with Adele McDonald. So this one, I think, is really interesting because I would call ANZ's approach almost heretical, right? But still incredibly smart and likely to get them where they want to go, in my view. Again, they're solving for today. And Adele knows that they are in a metamorphosis stage with their organizational setup, but they're having data leads in their domains as the data quantum owners and developers. They're not really even asking their domain teams to do much in this way just yet. But they're also increasing the domain's data capabilities and feeding them ownership bit by bit and upping their capability. And those people are are taking on that that uh, that capability and that lead to really start to own their data a little bit without having to be like, oh, now I fully own it. It's a really interesting approach, but one that has you know, only one that I could see if your organization has extremely high empathy and communication, should somebody consider doing it in this approach. But I think there's a lot of good learnings to take from it. On Tuesday, it's episode 149, Data Mesh and Community, the Future, Mesh Musings 34. So me talking about some hopefully exciting things on the horizon. I've struggled to make sure there is space for people to step up because I just want people to step up and step in and do things. So I am working now. I'm seeing that I'm just not going to probably be able to do that well. So I'm going to get some external support that will focus on that so I can focus on things like the podcast and some other things that are coming up. And as always, if you want to get you know, involved, just look to do so. Find some ways to do that. It's pretty easy to kind of step up and start doing some stuff. On Friday, we have episode 150, which is three years in Data Mesh at eDreams, small data products, consumer burden, and iterating to success. Oh my. An interview with Carlos Saona. So this one is a super interesting case study. Carlos essentially read Jamak's original article, looked for people to talk to at that time, couldn't find anyone, and then just went with his team to implement and kind of did that in in their own little environment for three years. Uh, He discovered the community only when I reached out to him a few months back. So at eDreams, they took a very interesting approach to their data products with a a very small single domain event type of uh, producer-aligned data product. And so I think this could actually become the de facto style of implementation of data mesh for companies in kind of the 
2.5K or less employee range because it really limits the burden on the producers so much. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff about iteration and, and learning and a lot of good advice about how to get started. And, and they, they, you know, as Carlos said, luckily picked a lot of really good ways to, to move forward. So I think there's a lot of good learnings in, in both of the interviews this week for people that are looking to get started. <laughs> um, so with that, let's get on to the extended summaries. Extended summary for episode 148. It's A-OK to solve for today. ANZ Plus's early data mesh success, an interview with Adele McDonald. So in this episode, I interviewed Adele, who's the customer and origination lead at ANZ Plus, which is a bank in Australia and New Zealand. Adele started the conversation on driving buy-in and how important it is to tailor your message. As prior guests have also noted, The easiest way to drive buy-in is by helping out the person you are trying to get bought in as part of the process. So find their needs and help drive to a positive outcome with them with data first. When it comes to getting buy-in from domain owners, Adele has seen finding their pain points and finding good ways to address those pain points will get them to see you as, as a partner to leveraging their data. They will be much more willing to work with you rather than you simply putting new responsibilities on their plate. You can work with them to ensure their information, especially purchase data, is providing value and gives people actionable insights, not just kind of the interesting insights. It may be a tough pill to swallow, but you need them to see you as a partner in the the long run. At ANZ Plus, they're embedding data leads into the domains to be the main point of data contact to external domains, according to Adele. Those data leads are serving the domains by helping to really address their internal business needs with data while also creating the data sharing mechanisms, you know, the actual data quanta in data mesh terms, for sharing that domain's data across the rest of the organization. With this work falling on the data leads, ANZ Plus is not generally asking for domains to take on too much responsibility relative to data, at least not yet. This minimizes the work the domains have to take on, but still significantly accelerates the time to getting business value within the the domain for new data use cases. This means domain owners are happy, or they've been very happy to work with the data leads because there isn't much incremental work they are responsible for, at least at first. (laughs) Adele and the Data Mesh fans and leaders at ANZ Plus are aware that their data ownership model is probably not the right fit in the long run, but it's working well for them right now, and that's what matters to them. They have found a setup that doesn't add a ton of overhead process and will evolve as the capabilities and resources to hand over actual data ownership get built out more and more. When they evolve, they're focused on maintaining the ways of sharing context rather than trying to keep the exact data quanta as is. 
But if your organization isn't very clear that things will constantly evolve, this could be a very hard setup to maintain in the long run. The only reason they're able to do it is that everybody's on board, that things are going to change and evolve, and that this is just kind of one step in that evolutionary path. As part of their plans for evolution, Adele mentioned that they are focusing on maintaining the ability with a low overall cost to pivot. As the world around them changes and evolves, and as they learn more by taking actions on the actual insights they generate to drive more value, the team needs to make sure they are evolving along with the world in their markets. They're focusing on getting to the right insights as fast as possible in sustainable ways. Thus far, Adele and team are finding it's very important to tie use cases to data quanta. To drive value for customers, they need to focus on the use cases. This is especially relevant when looking at customer journeys. You want to set yourself up to collect the right data to analyze, to understand what's going on with that actual like external customer journey. Adele emphasized the need to create an environment for safe evolution by developers relative to data. At first, developers won't know how to deal with data in general and you know, as an entire concept, but most will understand at least some aspects of working with data. So how can you get them more and more used to dealing with data and learning more? By providing them a way to make changes when they need, but in a safe and easy way. Easier said than done, but teaching developers and software engineers to deal with data isn't a switch you flip, just like handing over ownership. It's best done as a gradual process. Again, easier said than done, of course. According to Adele, it's okay to have somewhat murky data ownership at first for a new potential data asset. If it starts to get broader use, you need to lock in who will own it, how and why, but you don't need to get ahead of yourself and drive towards a perfect data quantum each time you look to share data. Have high context exchange with other users, let them know how much they can trust things, but also be in a mode of trying it out and seeing where it might go before investing the time into data quantum creation. This gives domains more freedom to play with their data, but data consumers also must be flexible around what they are consuming, how that might evolve as it gets molded into something more scalable, usable, trustable, etc. Without an ability to evolve quickly, this model that they put together will very likely not work, right? You need that evolution capability to do something like this. It's crucial to think about data like any other software development for Adele. You know, Jamak has said this multiple times as well. Your software development lifecycle or SDLC needs to have things like governance and API interfaces as part of the development. And as an example on the operational side, domains can build small internal apps that aren't good for you know, external domain usage or anything as they figure out what they're building and test. But once other domains need access, then you have to start sharing, you have to start treating your sharing access like a product. The same goes for data. You should have standard practices internally to make this low friction. I think this software development lifecycle concept is going to come up more and more. Jmac talks about it, but I think 
I'm seeing this pattern as an underlying um, current in a lot of implementations, especially the ones that are going well, of getting away from that pipeline uh, consideration. Automated documentation has been been a big win for governance, according to Adele at, at ANZ+. While you still need additional documentation, if you can have that base level documentation auto-generated in the repo with your actual data quantum code, that's very helpful for sharing what you are doing with data and, and why. It also means it's easier to make other governance decisions because people can see what is happening, what is the information about. They've automated much of their governance checklist as part of their software development lifecycle as well, so people can test against if they meet governance requirements as they are developing, not as a gate at the end where you might be surprised. A few other tidbits. Only collect data for a specific reason. If you don't know specifically why you are collecting it, why are you collecting it? This comes up over and over. This is something that, especially when I first started to talk to people around data mesh, everybody was really, really afraid to, to stop collecting data or to get rid of anything. If you don't know why you are collecting it, why are you collecting it? Making incremental data work requests, uh, a pull-based system, you know, think pull requests and Git, you can work uh, somewhat asynchronously and developers can learn to attempt data work in a safe environment. Really interesting approach there. Before investing in doing data work, ask if it is recurring and what is the value? Why are we doing this? If it will be recurring work, look to automate as much as possible first. It might not yet be a data quantum worthy, but it sets you up for when that time comes, right? It's not that you've kind of manually built everything out and then you have to completely throw it out and rebuild. One way to potentially drive executive buy-in is joint and collaborative KPIs. So it's not just about their, their own domain's results, but how well they work and drive results with another domain. I haven't really heard of this before, and I think it's an interesting concept, but I also know in a lot of organizations, it wouldn't fly because execs just don't want to work together. But I do think it's an interesting approach to explore. Finally, when you don't automate your governance checklist, domains often feel they need to invent or buy the tooling to comply with governance, making it just no friction to check against governance requirements as part of the software development lifecycle means far less complexity and far fewer issues. Extended summary for episode 150. Three years in, data mesh at eDreams. Small data products, consumer burden, and iterating to success. Oh my. Interview with Carlos Saona. So in this episode, I interviewed Carlos, who's the chief architect at eDreams Odigio, which is a company in the travel space. As a caveat before jumping in, Carlos believes it's too hard to say their experience or learnings will apply to everyone or that he necessarily recommends anything they have done specifically, but he has learned a lot of very interesting things to date. Keep that perspective in mind when 
listening to this summary. I think that's good for everybody is that we don't lock on to any one pattern, but that we take in kind of the broad perspective of what everybody's doing and what's working and then try and figure out what might work for you. So when Carlos and team were looking at building out, you know, three years ago, how to tackle their growing data challenges, they were looking at requests for proposals, you know, RFPs from a number of data consultancies around building out a data lake, but they just weren't convinced it would work. Then they ran across Schmack's first data mesh article and decided to give it a try themselves. Until more recently, Carlos and team, they weren't aware of the mass upswing and hype and buzz around data mesh. So their implementation is kind of especially interesting because it wasn't really influenced by other implementations. It was almost kind of one of those uh, uncontacted kind of groups of people that uh, were doing things their own way. So I think it's, it's an interesting study to look at. When they were starting out, Carlos said they didn't want to create that single overarching approach. It was very much about finding how to do data mesh incrementally. They started use case by use case and built it out organically including the design principles and rules. They knew they couldn't start with a single data model, for instance, but it was quite challenging iterating towards that standard data model, right? A lot of people get kind of bogged down around data modeling. And I think no matter what you do, it's going to be hard. But if you try and do it all from the, the beginning, you're not leaving yourself open this space to learn and iterate. I think that's important to really look at. When choosing their initial use cases to try for data mesh, uh, Carlos and team had some specific criteria. They rejected anything that needed a very quick turnaround because it wouldn't let them have enough time or space to try things, learn, and iterate. I think this is really important. There's a lot of use cases that you'll come across where the consumer is saying, I need this now, I need this now, I need this now. That's not good for your early data mesh implementation because you don't have the space to learn around this. You don't have the space to kind of try out a lot of different things. They did plan ahead, though, by creating foreign keys to data products that didn't exist to make interoperability down the road when they would exist much easier. And they were very honest with stakeholders about what early participation meant and what it didn't mean. That way, it was clear what benefits stakeholders could actually expect and that there wasn't the overpromise under deliver kind of thing that, that was hold, hanging over their heads. According to Carlos, while they had executive support and sponsorship for data mesh, that wasn't enough to move forward with confidence at the start. They needed to have a few key stakeholders that were engaged as well and wanted to participate. It was okay to have some stakeholders not engaged, but just informed of what they were trying to do with data mesh. You don't have to win everyone over before starting. Five things Carlos thinks others embarking on a data mesh journey should really take from, you know, eDreams' learnings. Number one, it's okay to not have everyone really bought in or especially engaged up front, but they will have to participate eventually. Make their eventual participation inevitable. And he gave a little bit around how they, they helped around or they set themselves up for that. Number two, Really emphasize what you are learning in your early journey, not that you have it figured out. And factor in learning when doing estimations and promises, right? Again, circling back, you need to set the expectations that this isn't 
fully baked and that we're going to learn together and we're going to find the value together. Number three, don't try to design, design your data model from the beginning. You need to learn via iteration. You will start to find your standards to make it easy to design new data products, but you will have to find them. Number four, when treating data as a first-class citizen, it's important to understand that will take additional time. Reserve the domain team's time to create and maintain their data quanta. This is something that a lot of people don't do. They just say, you now own this, and that doesn't go well. Number five, let the use cases drive you forward and show you where to go, right? There's a lot of, of places where people are trying to say, oh, we should go here, we should go here, we should go here within each, each organization doing data mesh versus the use cases that start to emerge, you'll kind of start to see more and more patterns and you can look for more of those as you learn how to do those better and better. And then you can figure out how you're going to do ones that don't really fit the mold um, as you're going along. Carlos's philosophy is, you know, within reason, push as much of the burden onto the data consumer as you can. Obviously, we don't want consumers doing the data cleansing work. That's been one of the key issues with the data lake, right? But the costs of consumption should fall on the data consumers as they are the ones deriving the most benefit. So eDreams makes the consumers own stitching data products together for their queries and makes them pay for the consumption. This minimizes the costs, including maintenance costs, to producers. One very interesting and somewhat unique, at least as far as I've seen, approach is how truly small Carlos and team's data quanta are. Thus far, they have really adhered to the concept that each data quantum should only be about sharing a single type of domain event and really nothing more in it. That again makes for lower complexity and maintenance costs for data producers. They are considering you know, changes with some upcoming data products. So that might change a little bit, but I think it's a really interesting approach to look at that you know, your data quanta are small and they are only around a single uh, domain event. Carlos believes, and I exceedingly strongly agree, it is not feasible for your documentation for your data quanta to be fully self-describing. You can't know someone else's context. You need to write good documentation, obviously, so people can still understand what the data product is and what it's trying to share. But if you do not have the knowledge of the domain, it would be a considerable amount of effort, essentially impossible to do it right, to fully explain the domain and how it works in the documentation of each data product, right? So let's unpack that a little bit it's really, really way too high of a bar to say, you need to make this so that this is understandable to absolutely everybody that could be coming and, and looking at this data product. That's just not feasible. It's when people try to say, you know, everything should be self-describing. That's, that's not feasible, right? We need to get real about how far we can go and the Pareto principle, right? If I do 20% of the work on the documentation and get 80% of the value, where do we start to say, let's cut this off, right? Okay, I have to get this so absolutely everyone in the organization could understand everything about the domain and the data product itself just from the documentation. No, you'd rather have, if they really need to know, 
that they go and they ask somebody and they learn how the domain works. So getting to know how other domains exactly work is outside the scope of the data mesh, really. At the start of their journey, the data team was in control of all the use cases, who was consuming and who was producing, according to Carlos, right? But as they've gone wider and there is a self-serve model for data consumers, more and more of the use cases are directly between the producers and consumers. Or, you know, the consumers are consuming without much interaction with producers as well, if they already know the domain. It could become an issue with people trying to understand data from lots of different domains, just for the sake of understanding, you know, that kind of spelunking thing that I've talked about a lot. But it hasn't been an issue so far, right? People are kind of staying in their lanes as to, okay, I'm trying to figure this thing out versus I'm going to go and see all the data that, that exists. So to date, Carlos hasn't seen many problems around versioning either. They thought that would they would have many more issues with versioning than they have, which Carlos believes is from keeping their data products as small as possible and using just you know single domain events for each data product. When they have had versioning, the retention window for the data has been relatively short, so the versioning has been relatively simple to move to the newer version. And because most people are getting their data from source-aligned data products, right, that there isn't that kind of downstream stitching for a lot of things, changes have a smaller blast ratings. They won't affect data products that are, you know, downstream of a downstream of a downstream data product, right? People understand who their consumers are. Domain events have been enough for their data quanta because their main stakeholder has been machine learning, right? Um, you don't need a super, super complicated thing for uh, machine learning. They're now working on a different kind of data quanta for consumers, such as business intelligence, and they plan to include more governed versioning there. But thus far, it hasn't really been an issue. One of the biggest challenges early on, according to Carlos, was that domains didn't really feel the ownership over the data they shared. So in, to increase the feeling of ownership, they first looked for ways for producing domains to use their own data, as many other guests have mentioned this, right? Second, they tried to maximize additional consumers of data products by looking for use cases. You know That led to faster feedback loops if there was a problem. There were more eyes on the data product. So producers discovered issues sooner, which again is especially helpful if they're consuming their own data. And third, the platform team helped identify issues that might be in the system or in the data platform pipeline process, right? If there was data loss, there is automation to help identify if it is on the platform side. If it's not on the platform side, then it is an issue with the domain. That one automation has led to a lot less time searching for the cause of data loss rather than fixing data loss, right? You have, you have to spend a whole lot of time to figure out what's causing this data loss instead of fixing it. That's obviously frustrating. A few other tidbits to wrap up on. When launching a new data product, there must be a settling period. Consumers must understand that things are subject to change while the producer really figures things out. You want to avoid duplicating data. Of course, everybody says this, but you really want to avoid duplicating business logic. Finally, data products should have customized SLAs based on use cases. You know, start from the standard easy to reach SLAs, right? But you don't need to optimize for everything. Let the needs drive those changes in SLAs from the kind of standard set. 